This one is, or will be, as soon as David tells me that. It is. We're live. This is contrasting spiritual views. A number of things, you know, we talked about echoes and how God shows up in a variety of ways and shows himself and communicates things and all that. And this is one of those things that just kept coming. And I thought, wow, that there's some reason this keeps coming. And so I thought, we've got we to cover this. I didn't know we were going to do the uh, heaven and hell thing, but <laughs> we got that in too. All right, so th- this is to look at uh, the idea of, of God accomplishing what he does in this world with his power, with his... Um, there's a there's a place for the mystical because he's dealing with mysterious things. He will bring out miracles. He can withhold miracles. Uh, all of those kind of things. But I want us to take a look at this and see what Scripture says and where does the Bible take us on this you know, on this little journey. So uh, that's kind of kind of what we're looking at: contrasting spiritual views of. Some people say there's nothing or not much or it's very limited and others say there's something happening. So I hope this will make some kind of sense. Let's pray. Father, thank you for allowing us some time to dig into your word, to uh, explore the things that you're doing in this world, in our, in our lives, and in, in our day. And I pray that you would reveal yourself to us, open our hearts, our minds to your spirit as you guide teach, lead. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, return of the king. It's going to be our king is coming. He's, he's uh, amazing. He's already risen from the dead. This is a good, good place to begin. Jesus is coming to rule and make everything new in the end, but he is active now and available to do mighty acts. He came back from the dead, and when he, he said before he left, before he died on the cross, that he was going to send the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's going to do some things, teach, guide, uh, empower his people. He said he's going to do that. He, Jesus comes back from the dead, and while, while he's teaching and training and all that, he tells his guys, stick around Jerusalem for a little bit until the power of the Holy Spirit has come on you. Then you're going to go do some things. But wait till that happens. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit shows up, and Peter gets up and goes, that's what happened. The power of the Holy Spirit has now come, and he's come on us, on the church, fulfilling the prophecy from Joel chapter 2. And he said, this is it. This is him showing up, and he's empowering each believer for the work that Jesus is trying to do, accomplishing God's purpose in the earth. So, boom, this whole thing happened. Jesus... uh, Said, and I will be with you always to the end of the age. So he's he's with us, and yet he's still in heaven. So he's he's participating in our lives and the life of the church as his body. He said he's going to build. So he's he's still he's still king. He's not distant. He's not disconnected. He is still involved. 
So we have a king who's coming, who, and when he takes over, people see him, and when it busts through on the east, eastern ski, sky, people are going to go, wow, okay, that's him. He's in charge. He's in charge now. It's just that he's doing it behind the scenes in many ways. And that's where we are. We're living in those days. So the return of the king. He's coming, but he's also here now. Here's the contrast. All right, you're going to get to see some bubbles popping up up there. Rational is acceptable, which is uh, Christianity without too much supernaturally spiritual. So that's what that first one is. Rational is acceptable. So if you've been in that place as a Christian or you've been around churches where the rational, the intellectual is key, it's what you know, it's the maybe the references you have uh, in your study Bible or commentaries, but it's, it's the rational, it's what, and what I can figure out by myself logically, what can I work through, and it's just, it's just a normal, natural tendency to, to make, make all of Christianity fit into certain boxes, categories that are, when, you, when we put God in boxes, it's so much more comfortable because if we leave him where he's at, which is uncontainable, that's scary. What do you do with a God that, well, I just, every time, if, if I pray, I get this answer. If, if I'm sick, he makes me healthy. If I'm, if I'm broke, he gives me money. You know any Christian groups that say that those things automatically happen all the time? Yeah. What box are they in? There's another group that says none of that happens. That's a different box. God's uncontainable. He's not going to be in that box. Either anybody's. But anyway, the rational. So anybody remember Proverbs 3, 5, and 6? About trusting in the Lord? And then lean on your own understanding. Oh. So, obviously, rational Christianity is the way to go. I lean on my own understanding. I make this fit the way I like it, or what I'm comfortable with, or what my tradition is, or what I've always heard, or what so-and-so told me. You go, huh, that's an interesting approach. Absolutely antithetical or the opposite of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, which says, trust in the Lord, the uncontainable, and let him do something in your life, like guide you in the right way. Wow, that's, that's amazing. So, rational is acceptable. Christianity without too much supernaturally spiritual. We've got to remove some supernatural from it to make it work. We've got to get that out of there because that's, that's uneasy. And people might, you know, go to extremes. Any supernatural is going to extremes. But legitimate supernatural, God-given, come on. Let's open up some Red Seas. Let's see some stuff happen. God is, God is ready to do some things in people's lives. Anyway, rationally acceptable. Handwriting on the wall. God is a spirit. Should be the next one. No, went religious. Religious is safe. We'll do that one. 
Religious is safe. Standardized church systems with socially sanctioned songs, sermons, schooling, and strategies. Religious is safe. So if we have these standardized uh, church, and even just our minds, there are certain songs. So if we issue a hymnal, and each denomination, or back in the day they did it that way, each denomination had their had their books, and so you got your Bible, and some some of them issued a prayer prayer book. Then you had your hymnal. Your hymnal has its 566 songs in it. Do you realize that just contained God? So now my 566 songs define who I am because I'm singing those songs. Those are the ones that reflect my theology, our theology, our group identity. So we fit in this we're contained situation standardized standardized church systems and it's socially sanctioned songs which is the opposite of not necessarily bad but just not the same as god given socially sanctioned means my group of people all of us weans who think the same agree these are the 566 songs that belong in this book. Here are the prayers that we're going to pray, and this is how we run a meeting for the church, and here's our prayer book that says that's how we're going to do it. The organization is fine. It's just sometimes we put too much into that, and then that define. now we're going to define God by my book, my songs, and our organization. That's when we get in trouble. Having some organization is probably good because we're tending, we tend to chaos. So standardized church, that's really hard to say fast, by the way. Standardized church systems with socially sanctioned songs, sermons, schooling, and strategies. Who in the world wrote that? So religious is safe. And now try handwriting on the wall, see if that comes. I think somehow when I gave it numbers. Anyway, okay. So God is a spirit and engages supernaturally and naturally. Remember that event in Babylon? There's a whole gathering. We've got a problem because the new king is just a jerk. And God said, you know, I've had it with you people. I'm bringing judgment down on you. So he sends an angel to write on the wall. So the handwriting on the wall, and they can't figure out what it means, so they get Daniel the prophet. Daniel comes in and reads it for them and says, you're in trouble, you've been weighed in the balance, and you are going to be wiped out before sunrise. Handwriting on the wall. There's a natural situation, real human beings sitting in a real conference center in the palace. There's a real army about to invade. There's a real problem. God, the supernatural, has just sent a hand to write on the wall in a language understood by the people in Babylonian. So you got this whole, there's natural, supernatural, all happening. They don't understand what, what the words mean. They understand what the words mean. They just don't understand. So what, how do you interpret that? That's where Daniel came in. Natural, supernatural. Handwriting on the wall. It's going on all the time, and God is involved in all of that. Um, God is not dead. Let's see if that one. Nope, the other one. Spiritual is supreme. 
Christianity with Christ on the throne, the kingdom is first, and the spirit exercises power. So the spiritual is supreme. That's, that's what we're supposed to do, right? We're supposed to seek first his kingdom, his righteousness. We are Colossians 3, we talked about earlier today, that our minds are supposed to be on, set on heaven, not on the earth. So what do we mainly do? Set our minds on the earth, work on our own kingdoms, and we fit him in somewhere in the midst. But the spiritual is supreme. So there's something amiss in, in the approach. And uh, then God is not dead. There he, that last one. There it is. God lives always. Just He's not limited. Jesus is the same. The Holy Spirit is not diminished. All those things are going on. God has not stopped doing what he has always done. And Jesus is still active doing what he's supposed to do. He's not limited. He's uncontained. There's no stopping his power. Anyway, so that's so we're going to contrast. Those, those are the contrasts. The rational is acceptable. Religious is safe. And yet here's this spiritual reality that God is involved in the supernatural and the natural and he hasn't stopped doing what he does. So we're, let's look at that a little bit. We're going to look in the book. Look in the book. First, God is spirit. It comes up with that. In John 4, 24, Jesus is talking to the woman at the well. They have this conversation about who's got what, who's, who's in charge, the Jews or the Samaritans. And they have this big conversation in, out of which comes. Jesus says, well, there's coming a time we're going to worship in spirit and truth. That's what we're looking for. Not, not worshiping in Jerusalem, not worshiping in Samaria, Mount Gerizim. We are talking about worshiping in spirit and truth because God is spirit. So the, we're going to go beyond all those other arguments and comparisons and whatever else you've got. So we got, so he's spirit. That's, that would kind of work into the spiritual side of this. God is everlasting, Psalm 90, verse 2. God is from everlasting to everlasting. He says, before the mountains were born, even, you were here from everlasting to everlasting. So he's, 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 he was here then, he's here now, he will be here in the future. God's word is lasting. Uh, we've got the flowers fade, the grass dies, everything's going to go away. But the word of God stands forever. It's Isaiah 40, verse 8. Jesus is the same, Hebrews 13, 8. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yesterday, today, and forever. So what if we do rational Christianity that we just talked about? Well, maybe back in the day Jesus did stuff. Maybe back in the day God did stuff. But today, well, it's a whole different... You know, we're modern. We're contemporaries. We're, we're cool. He doesn't do that. Really? Because the scripture I just read said... This, the Bible stands forever, unchanging. God is unchanging. He's a spirit, and he continues everlasting to everlasting. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Holy Spirit gives power, Acts 1.8. Jesus said, wait, wait here until the Spirit has come and gives you power. So it's coming. All of those things, and he didn't say, and after the first century or after Peter... Paul, John die, then this thing's done. 
But, you know, for the short run, you're going to have power with the Holy Spirit. Or you'll have some supernatural things for a while. No. Now and forever. That's, he's bringing it on. Okay. So do you remember, remember when God stopped doing God things? Remember that date? Remember that from the history book? Then how in the world do we get where we're at? If God is God, he does these things, then why is it we've allowed those kind of thoughts to enter in and shut down what God wants to do, what he wants to bring, what he wants to show us? Because we thought, we are so clever. And we're going to lean on our own understanding. And we're going to tell God how this works and what he can do and how far he can go. Remember when God stopped doing God things. He didn't. Never did. Never will. He's God. He's got a whole lot more to show us. Now, he will allow us, just like the people we talked about this morning, who reject him, rebel against him. And he says, you, that's what you want? Then you can have hell. It's all yours. How many believers say, you know what, Lord, I really just don't want this. Or I don't want that. I don't care what you've said in the past. I really am uncomfortable with that would be an experience not for me. And you know what he does? Fine. Enjoy. Because now you've chosen to not experience the very things that I have brought into this universe for you because you said, no, thank you. Is that kind of a reality for way too many of us, way too many churches, way too many denominations? Yeah, I think it is. When did God stop doing God things? The battle is not with flesh and blood. The battle is not with flesh and blood. So we'll review some of these things. Evil rebels in the spiritual realm. They exist. They're out there. They are not killed. They didn't come to an end. God will deal with them when he has Revelation 20 or at the end of, of time, at the, when we wrap things up with this world, he will judge people, but he will also deal with uh, the angelic rebels, the heavenly beings who have turned their backs on him, and he will take all of them, and they all go into the lake of fire. But the lake of fire is like the last thing. So where are they now? They were here. They were causing trouble. Some of them are tied up, chained up down in Tartarus. Others are loose. They don't die. God will put them in the lake of fire later. So where are they now? And they're still here. So what are we dealing with? What are the political things? Why are people, why, why, why I mean, probably three this week I saw in the news where some member of a family took a knife, took a gun, did something, killed family members, and then killed themselves. Sounds like a normal thing to do. No. Where does that evil come from? Where does the evil that's going on in Ukraine come from? It's one thing to go in with an army and just shoot soldiers, but to do the evil that's going on, where does that come from? 
We've got a whole different thing unfolding here. Evil revels in the spiritual realm. Powerful beings opposed to God. That's what we're, we're seeing. And they're around. They may be hidden. We don't have the names for them anymore. They used to. But in our culture, at least in the West, we don't use those so much. Uh, demons are demanding their way. Demons are, demons are more low-level, evil spirits, but they're, they're caught up in this thing. They, they want to destroy people. They are opposed to God. All of that's the same. And there are ancient gods who are set on destruction. They're just set on... That's, that was their point. They, they're, some of them, when they got together, these ancient ones, and like the ones in Tartarus... So they're reported to have said, it, at least when you, about Kalu and some of the things that are related to the Mesopotamian stories and, and the Book of Enoch, you get this whole story of they're looking at humanity and they've taught them ways of war. They've, they're, they're encouraging them to destroy themselves because they're opposed, they want to take down this thing that God thought was so pretty and so cool and wonderful and they're going, nope. They are just, they don't like it. So what is reported in this one story is, you know, I just want to get rid of all those humans because they're just so noisy. Okay. They just just bother these gods. They just, they're just not, they're just not acceptable. They're not as, you know, wonderful as these uh, small G gods. So Ares is the god of war in the movie, the Wonder Woman movie. So in the first Wonder Woman movie, we're going to have this. I'm going to show you a clip in just a sec. So they've got a uh, battle going on. World War I is happening. It's unfolding. Turns out that Ares has pretended to be a government official in uh, England, and he's really promoting some stuff that the Germans are doing because he's trying to get them all to fight each other and kill, just destroy the world. So World War I. So Ares is behind this thing. Wonder Woman comes along. She is a god. She didn't realize that she was one of the small G gods, and she's supposed to. She's been protected on this island all this time, and now she's supposed to come out and help, or she's going to help humanity. And so you'll see Ares and, and his his statement about people are they they just they're horrible, they're destructive, they don't really care about anything that really matters, and he's just. He's just had it, and and he thinks that she should join him, and they should destroy every everyone. You'll see her respond to that with a whole different way. She's going to say it, it, that she believes in love, and she doesn't want to go the direction he's gone. And then it's interesting because the filmmaker does this. She gathers this power that he's he's throwing at her, and then she rises up into the air, and in the form of a cross. All the power comes to her, and then she blasts them. So this whole thing is like, that's kind of a, this is almost the, the story. I mean, there's, there's the, the God that we're, these gods that we're dealing with. And anyway, the battle is not with flesh and blood. There's something else going on, and that's how World War, they're showing it, how World War I got stirred up. So let's take a look. They're everything you say. But so much more. Yeah! 
not about deserve. It's about what you believe. And I believe in love. Then I will destroy you! Yeah. And there's another group that he gave responsibility at Babel to these different nations, and he had these beings that he placed in response, had responsibility for these nations, and they were supposed to lead the nations. That's what we read about today in, from Psalms. And they, they didn't follow through on their responsibility, and then they started leading the people to worship them, another rebellion. So then they're still around. That's where Ares and these other gods, we run into them. The demons are the souls of the Nephilim who were killed. So we've got a whole different group. You know, that's a whole different batch of evil beings. Yep. Yep. Well, that group got chained to Tartarus. The others are waiting judgment, which is why, you know, when the demon sees Jesus, he says, it's not time yet. Because they go, it's not, you know, it's not Jesus coming in the air going, because they know that's definitely time. He surprised them with his, his appearance. So battle, the battle with evil, Wonder Woman, Ares, we've got this whole whole thing that's that's developing, but that that movie kind of shows that that, Behind the scenes, here's a war. Here's what's going on. We've got World War II, and there are evil evils in that one. we got the Holocaust that's unfolding. Interesting that, that Germany decides to go after Jewish people. You go, huh, I wonder who would be behind that. So we've got it, it, the evidence is all around us that these things are happening. But God has more. He wants to, to, to do more. Did did you guys get the note on reading Acts chapter 8? So I'm going to run through a little bit of that so we can see how it kind of put this in. So here's a framework. They've, the believers have already received the Holy Spirit. Stephen has died. He's, he's the first martyr. Now people are scattering. And, 
and Philip has taken off. He's gone to Samaria. So he's like 30 miles away from Jerusalem, shows up in the city, and he's telling them, telling them about Jesus. That's where we pick this up in, in Acts chapter 8. Uh, Philip, for example, goes to the city of Samaria, told the people there about the Messiah. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. So here's Philip, normal guy. He's been touched by the Holy Spirit. He's got the message of Jesus. He's here to talk about the Messiah. So we've got to put this, again, framework for this thing. He's here to talk about the Messiah, who is first talked about in Genesis 3.15. So we've got, you know, we've got some background of this thing and he's going to uh, talk about how um, the messiah the one who is coming is offering uh, help and how is he going he's going to deliver the people how does he do that crushes the head of satan the serpent so okay they're waiting for the messiah because it would really be nice to get rid of the serpent Samaria, northern Israel, was hauled off by the Assyrians in 722 B.C. for idolatry. They're following other gods. That's that rebellion against God again. So they've rebelled against God. They're worshiping false gods, small g gods. Baal was big. Moloch was big. We've already had the the battle with Elijah and Mount Carmel and, and the prophets of Baal. So all of that's already occurred. They've been hauled off in, in, by the Assyrians. Later, uh, the south is hauled off by the Babylonians. The Samaritans are still rebuilding. There, there's still some believers in this area, but you know, there's, a, there's, still, there's been this darkness that's settled on that land. And here Philip comes to speak to them about the Messiah. So just like the woman at the well in John 4, it's like, you know, we heard the Messiah is coming. Yeah, he came. This is good news. This is good stuff. We need, we need some freedom. The crowds listened intently to hear the message and to see miraculous signs he did. Well, that's supernatural. That's a spiritual thing. We're dealing with the darkness that exists, and, and we got God in, in, invading this space. Verse 7, many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims, and many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. Why? Because the demons had made them paralyzed and lame, and now they're gone and people are happy. And There's great joy in that city, verse 8. So we add another level of these spiritual things. A man named Simon had been a sorcerer there for many years, amazing people of Samaria and claiming to be someone great. Everyone from the least to the greatest often spoke of him as the great one, the power of God. Now, why would they do that? He's, he's representing the evil side of things, but he's able to do these magic tricks and maybe have some help from some spirits. So there's some frightening things that are happening around this guy. And they saw it. So they call, just here's this guy, just Simon, and they call him the power of God. Some, something big is happening here. They listened closely to him because for a long time he had astounded them with his magic. But now the people believe Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. As a result, many men and women were baptized. 
And Simon himself believed and was baptized. He began following Philip wherever he went. And he was amazed by the signs and great miracles Philip performed. So I, I want you to think, here's Simon called the power of God who does incredible things by the power of evil. Now he's watched Philip and he's really amazed. He is overwhelmed. He's following him everywhere because what he's doing is greater than anything he could do. So here he is impressed. The great one, the power of God, is impressed by what Philip is doing. He comes to the Lord. The apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people in Samaria had accepted God's message, and Peter and John show up. And then they begin to pray for the believers to receive the Holy Spirit. So now Simon watches that and goes, Wow, something so amazing has happened with Philip. So amazing that with the apostles and the coming of the Holy Spirit with the people in Samaria, that they are all just taken back. And Simon, the guy who used to be the great power of God, wants this. Now he's still in his twisted thinking because he's just new to Christ, so this is new to him. But he thinks, man, I'll give these guys some money and see if I can, you know, I, I want to do that. I want to be able to do that. So that's, that was a problem, and, you know, Simon, uh, Peter scared him, so he, he backed off and asked for some forgiveness on that. But we've got, we've got these incredible events happening. So I want I to look at this in terms of how do we look at this from rational Christianity, and how do we, how do we view this in terms of what this is reporting? So here's views. The views evangelism and numbers. People will often read this, or this will often be used as a message about this is how you go into a town and you do evangelism, and if it's a revival, we can get people to, you know, we get the gospel out, and if we get the gospel out, we get a crowd, because it's reported that Philip came to Samaria and got a crowd. So revivals mean numbers. Just think, how many times is the word crowd used and how many times is a demonstration of God's power indicated in those verses? Which thing is God emphasizing? Which thing is the Holy Spirit saying, this is my story. This is what's important. Well, the revival in lots of people. Or is it the power of God? demonstrated in this world where the demonic and the rebellious beings, including humans, have turned their back on him. And he's saying, uh-uh, I've just shown up. And I've shown up in power, and now this looks a whole lot different. Evangelism, evangelism in numbers. So they preached the good news about Jesus and the Messiah, and crowds came, which is, you know, nothing wrong with that either. That's good stuff. Message and miracles resulted in joy. Just the message resulted in joy or the message and miracles? It has both. After the first century, the message continues and miracles are stories. So after the first century, we are told by, by many, the gospel continues, the message, the good news of Jesus continues. 
But miracles now, don't expect that. That doesn't happen in our day. Those are stories. Good stories, inspiring stories, but stories nonetheless. So don't expect that to happen. Just, just the good news, minus any miracles. What were the miracles aimed at? Well, they got rid of the demons who were causing people to have uh, paralysis and they're ill and they're set free. Would that be helpful today? Are the demons gone now? We just covered there. No, they're still around. What would be helpful? To have the ability to deal with them in power. So it's not just the message. The message is absolutely powerful, true, wonderful. But we can also have the miracles. Evangelistic Evangelistic meetings and church revivals preach the good news, desiring for people to come to the Lord and seeking the crowds. What if we had meetings and revivals where we sought that God would be glorified and his power released and individuals, however many show up, and demonstrate to the world around us, human, non-human, that God deserves to be honored, lifted up, praised, as he demonstrates himself. That's a different way to do that. Uh, View intrigued sorcerer. Intrigued sorcerer Simon believes and struggles. So he sees this. He's been involved in this. He's got the demonic side, the power of the demons at work. So he's done, done the magic, got everybody in going. But he believes he comes to Christ. He realizes this is true. So he's turned from following other gods to following Jesus And then he struggles because he kind of wants that power and he wants it the wrong way, so he has to deal with that. So the interpreters, typically, will land on that and argue about Simon. This will be a big big thing here. uh, Argue about whether Simon was a true believer. So he struggled. He wanted to pay them to have the power to pass on the Holy Spirit. So obviously he's not a, a true believer. That's what we need to talk about if you sin. If sin's in your life, then so it's always about is he in or is he out? He's going to heaven, not going to heaven. You ever had conversations with Christians that all boils down to are you in or are you out? So that's that's one part of this. Simon believes and so they're anyway, that's that's gonna be the argument. His believing is indicated by the fact that he asked for forgiveness and he asked Peter to pray for him and he doesn't want to go down that road. He just, he's just a young believer. He's just new to this stuff. And he's been so twisted for so long, his brain goes there. But to look at this, and that's the evangelism in numbers thing, is to look at this in terms of uh, how many in the crowd, are you going to heaven or not going to heaven? What are those things? And not have any of the supernatural or the spiritual things that were unfolding here included in those descriptions. The apostles imparted the Holy Spirit indicating God's presence and power, which is viewed by many today as something for then and not today. So that that's one side of this thing. And that's not everybody, but it's certainly a number. The other side of that is evangelism and, in, and enemy engagement. So preach the good news about Jesus, the Messiah. They're bringing this to, to bear 
on these people who need to hear that. This is Jesus' good news. This, this is bringing what we need to hear. It's the Messiah. Here's Genesis 3.15. Crushes the head of the serpent. That's the hope. Uh, 2 Kings 17, 5-17 talks about the idolatry that was in Israel. That's the ten northern tribes that, that uh, Samaria represents. So we've got all of that happening. That's why they were hauled off because of the evil that was going on there. This truth, this showing up, when Jesus shows up in John 4, when Philip shows up in Acts 8, is the reversal of those things, bringing in truth and bringing God's power to bear against all that evil that had been built up. Like Elijah defeating the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, he's back. And like Baal's prophet, Simon the sorcerer believes and comes to Christ. The good news is redemptive. That's different than the way Elijah dealt with them, which was with a sword. And proclaiming the good news about Jesus and imparting the power of God was vital. The desire for, was for all to come to Christ, but that wasn't primary because of the one on the road. So we've got, we've got this revival going on. We've got crowds of people coming. We've got the power of God being released. And God says, you know, the most important thing is we need to take this to another town, take this show on the road, get some buses, and let's fill up some huge arenas because that's the next thing. Do you know the re- next part of the story? One person. He's just going to go talk to one person. Something happened. There's a transition. There, there's just a, a change. So part of this is we, we've, we've looked at um, so much of the spirit. We've left out so much of the spiritual or the supernatural to make it fit more rationally and fit a, a version of things that isn't necessarily being presented. So uh, there's just more. There's just more. It's like looking through a keyhole. And in this case, this keyhole is going to open up to show us something more. In fact, uh, Dr. Strange is going to show us a little bit of that. When we ticket and you're talking to me about healing through belief. You're a man looking at the world through a keyhole. You spent your whole life trying to widen that keyhole to see more, to know more. And now on hearing that it can be widened in ways you can't imagine... You reject the possibility. No, I reject it because I do not believe in fairy tales about chakras or energy or the power of belief. There is no such thing as spirit. We are made of matter and nothing more. You're just another tiny momentary speck within an indifferent universe. You think too little of yourself. Oh, you think you see through me, do you? Well, you don't. But I see through you. Pushed your astral form out of your physical form. What's in that tea? Psilocybin? LSD? It's just tea. With a little honey. Spiritual being. We are spiritual beings living in a spiritual universe. It happens to be physical as well, but it's both. And all of those things are going on. And we have the opportunity to see God glorified by living it the way he's designed us to live it. 
And he's given us, given us instructions, and he's given us examples, which is Acts chapter 8, or one of these examples, of how this plays out. As long as we don't rip out the spiritual side or the supernatural aspects and go, huh, I'm looking through a keyhole. I can just see that much, or I can see a keyhole that's widening, and I can see that there's so much more that's waiting. The church is important for God's purposes among people of earth and beings in the unseen world. So from Ephesians, from the book of Ephesians, verse, chapter 3, verse 10, God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. But I thought it was about gathering as big a crowd as we could get. You ever thought that? I have. That's just, you know, you got to get the God, just get it out there. you got to gather as many as you... Then why is this in the Bible? God's purpose in all this was to use the church, his people, to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the, I don't know, People in China, people in India, people in Africa. Yeah, but to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Is that spiritual? Is that supernatural? Yeah. See how short we've gotten this thing? He's called us to something way beyond that. So he decides to send Philip to one person. So here's the crowds. All, all those things are going on. He sends them to one person. Philip leaves the revival. That's eight, uh, Acts 8, 26 to 40. So he takes off. He's going down to this. Uh, well, let me I'll read that. As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, Go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out. He met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the Candake, uh, the queen of Ethiopia, the eunuch was, had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and now he's returning, seated in his carriage, and he's reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over, walk along beside the carriage. Philip ran over, heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah, and Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? And the man replied, how can I? Unless someone instructs me, and he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. The passage of Scripture he had been reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants, for his life was taken from the earth? The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? Beginning with this same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. As they rode along, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, there's water. Why can't I be baptized? He ordered the carriage to stop. They went down into the water. Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Meanwhile, Philip found himself farther north at the town of Zotus. He preached the good news there and in every town along the way until he came to Caesarea. 
So we've got some amazing thing happening as he goes to see this one guy down on this road. So let me read this. This is a contrast view led by the Spirit. So this is uh, just in, in giving some insight into what was happening in Acts 8 with this uh, encounter. And it's mainly about being led by the Spirit, but also in this article it was about the the evangelism that was in the method of evangelism that was being shown there. So Philip was led by the Spirit in today's terminology, or better, in today's terminology, he felt a keen and definite assurance that God would have him strike up a conversation and later quite probably share with that person the magnetic claims of Christ. In other words, he sensed that God was clearly opening the door. So, verse 26, I just, you know, the, the urges, this, this sense of the Holy Spirit leads by, he, and, and there's some sense in which the Holy Spirit's doing that, and he gives us kind of this generic urging uh, or sometimes conviction, like don't do that, do this. You just have a strong sense that you ought to move in this direction. Very general, very just kind of go that way, don't go that way. You get those kind of indicators. That's the Holy Spirit leading, certainly. What do we have in Acts chapter 8? Because that's where this is coming from. That's where this statement came from, was addressed to Acts 8, this encounter, these, exactly what happened with Philip and the Ethiopian, an angel of the Lord said to him, go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. I just have a general urge, uh, just this sense that I should just leave the crowd and this revival and go down to the desert road. That make sense? No. Why would we report something like that? The Holy Spirit can give directions. He's not lost for ability to communicate. It's God who came up with the idea of how to communicate in the first place. He knows what ideas are. He knows where geography leads. He knows exactly what time this guy is going to show there, show up there, and he's telling Philip to leave now because that's how long it's going to take him to get there. So he's on the road when this happens. But obviously, it's just a generic feeling that I feel when I feel it. That's how the Holy Spirit works, just this feeling of general whatever at any given time. Angel of the Lord says, go south. Very specific. Knew exactly what was going on. Verse 29, the Holy Spirit said to Philip, you feel that, Philip? Got an urge? No. Go over and walk along beside the carriage. Why would we tear the supernatural, spiritual realities of the living God out of his own book? Why? Because God does not do God things today. God did God things then. God doesn't do God things now. Don't expect God to do God things because he's not going to do God things for you. He did God things for Philip. But even when we decide to describe what Philip experienced, it's just a general feeling, an urging. 
that maybe I can share the gospel with this person. He sensed that God was opening the door. That's not how the scripture says it. He says he was sent there. There's an angel, Holy Spirit, clearly communicating in a language Philip understood. So much so that he told Luke, Luke wrote it down. He said, man, that's a heck of a story there, Phil. Let me write that in there. I'll send this to my friend Theophilus. He'll love this story. We know it's not true because, you know, mainly it's just going on the feelings and whatever our reasoned minds come up with. No, he's telling a story because God showed up doing God things in a way that is so different from the world around us. <coughs> Leaving super in supernatural. The Holy Spirit can communicate clearly and is not limited to vague feelings and human guesswork. God provided 10 feelings for Moses to share. Remember that? Goes up the mountain. I got some feelings, 10 of them. Let me write these down. Nope. God communicated clearly. In fact, he wrote them. Philip is transported to the next stop. He didn't use Uber. So he moves, being with the eunuch after he baptizes him, they come up out of the water, and God, the Holy Spirit takes him and moves him to Azotus, where he can go and share the gospel with other people. But he's just been transported from one place to another, like that. How do you think that guy who just got baptized by him and heard the story of Jesus felt after that? He didn't walk off in the desert. He just gone. That has an effect. They go, wow. The Ethiopians still have a church. Did you know that? We're 2,000 years into this. Where'd that come from? Probably this. Got it rolling. God knows what he's doing. And he uses all kinds of ways to do these things. So if you've seen the TV show, I Dream of Jeannie, you'll remember her ability to, to blink and just show up, go places. So let's see that. What did, how did you get in here? Oh, I brought you a note from Major Nelson's mother. And one from Major Heavey's, too. You'll have to excuse them from any more uh, exercises. Notes from their mothers? <laughs> What are you, some sort of weird cocktail waitress? <laughs> just, okay, just show up. It's shocking, which happens, you know, as you watch those shows, Bewitched or what, all those kind of shows, and somebody can teleport in and teleport out. Jesus does it. You know, he's resurrected, and then he just shows up and disappears just like that. And Philip just did that. So he left from the creek and off to Azotus in a heartbeat. And he's teleported. So our God does supernatural things in this natural world. He's not hidden. He communicates powerfully, acts, moves people, and forces. He is just doing amazing things. Does he do it our way or when we want him to? Mm, eh, pretty much not. Does he do it when he's ready? Yeah. 
Will he do it with us if we're ready? Yeah, because that's his point. And we may get a message just like Philip. I need you to go down to the desert road. And how many of us would listen to that? Ah, man, I must have eaten a bad pizza because I got all this stuff to do. That'd burn a lot of gas, and that's expensive. I just, uh, and we just talk ourselves right out of it. And how many times has God actually spoken to us directions that we said, mm, no thanks? That would be looking like supernatural. And we don't do that around here because we got so much more going on. See how we missed it? God's doing God things. Still doing God things. He will always do God things. And we can join him. We can be part of it. So this is my summary for this. Let God be God and the scriptures speak. If it's talking about supernatural things, let it talk about supernatural things. Talking about spiritual things that are... Uh, hard to understand, fine. Let them speak. We're supposed to be learning, not telling God how to do this. We don't need to control what's happening. Be aware that a particular bent is not necessarily the righteousness of God. Build on the truth and the purposes of God. God has more for you. Be aware that a particular bent is not necessarily the righteousness of God. If you're with a particular group or you've done certain things a certain way for a long time, anybody you run into who does it different, and it can just be, I'm in denomination A, they're in denomination B, they do it different, therefore they're wrong because this is the bent and that is righteousness. They don't do it that way. Yeah, they can be semi-righteous, but they're not righteous because A is righteous. And you go, huh? But really, the whole group, we've taken the whole thing and fought among ourselves for centuries. And you're going, wow. This is what was happening at the beginning. Where did it go? It's still been around, and some of it's an undercurrent. Because a lot of the people who wrote the histories, controlled the books, were the reasonable people. And the spiritual people are doing the things God sent them to do, and they didn't always keep track of that through the centuries. So there's less of it. They also didn't get applauded because other people got nervous. If you're going to talk about supernatural stuff happening you know, in the 1500s, well, I ain't comfortable with that. So we need to shut that down. We need to argue about which group, A or B, is more righteous. And that's where we're going to leave it because we're uncomfortable with this other. This is the context in which God brought his truth, brought Jesus the Messiah to battle the enemy, set up the church, which is supposed to make a difference in this world and to the invisible world. Not just the physical, not just crowds. Do what God says. Sometimes it's with one person. If it happens to be with a whole town, cool. If it's a mega church, cool. If it isn't a mega church, it's three people in your living room, cool. 
God is at work. Let God be God and do God things. We are blessed. We are blessed to know him. We are blessed that he does these things. Is he going to do supernatural stuff all the time with us? Yeah, but probably not ways that we recognize always. Is it uh, possible that he's going to bring some of these other things along? Yeah, especially if we're listening to him, we're open to him doing those things. He's, he's likely to actually use us in ways like he did Philip. Send us down the desert road or pick us up and take us to Azotus or who knows what. Because we live in a world where he can even use the technology we have to do incredible things. And we get to be part of it today. Because God is God. (sighs) Let's pray. Lord, thanks for never giving up, for never backing off, for being you, for being faithful all these years and, Lord, letting us know that you are everlasting and that your word is truth and it is not in any way diminished or weakened or different and you have a lot to say a lot to say to us keep us lord alert to your spirit and to what you are saying to listen to the scriptures to the to the voice of the living god to to your directions when you give them to us and i pray lord that we would soften our hearts and be prepared to receive whatever it is that you have for us. Lord, that we might make a difference in this world, whether it's with crowds or individuals, that Jesus Christ would be glorified. In his name we pray. Amen.